1: He did, uh, you know, uh, uh, quarrel with that he, he wasn't a member of the conspiracy. He never lied to the FBI. But uh, there was a lot of evidence that the judge wasn't going to let that dissuade him. And I uh, thought, and he told him that he thought, you know, he was being unrealistic and accepting what, uh,
0: what had happened. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, May 26, 2023. It is sentencing day for some senior oath keepers, and Roger Parloff has spent the day in court listening to and watching the sentencing of Elmer Stewart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs. Two Oathkeepers chieftains who were convicted of seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th insurrection. They got a lot of time. Rhodes got 18 years, Meg's got 12, they got a terrorism enhancement. It was a big news day and a bad day if you're an Oathkeeper, and a really bad day if you're a Proud Boy. After the sentencing, Roger joined me in the Jungle Studio, the actual Jungle Studio, and we talked it all through. What does it mean for future Oathkeeper sentencing? What does it mean for Proud Boy sentencing? When are we finally going to see the white-collar defendants as well as the blue-collar defendants in January 6th cases? And can we finally begin to predict—hint, answer is no— what Jack Smith may be up to on January 6th. It's the Lawfare Podcast, May 26th, Roger Parloff on the Oathkeeper Sentences. So, Roger, the last time we talked, the Proud Boys had just been convicted of seditious conspiracy. Now we're back to the other seditious conspiracy case that everyone's forgotten about, for sentencing, so remind us who got sentenced today and uh, which seditious conspiracy they were convicted of.
1: Okay, so two Oath Keepers got sentenced today. They're the f- they're two of the first nine who are going to be sentenced. They were in the first two Oath Keeper trials. There were nine people, and six of them were convicted of seditious conspiracy, and so. Today was the top guy, Elmer Stewart Rhodes III, uh, who was – Yeah, a
0: law school grad. uh, Yes. Along with Roger Parloff.
1: Right. We did not overlap.
0: Although he was in a small group with Steve Vladek, I believe. Oh, is that right? Yeah.
1: And then Kelly Meggs, who was considered the number two in the conspiracy – Um, not necessarily number two in the Oath Keepers, but number two in the conspiracy. He was a Florida Oath Keeper and he led uh, the 14 people, the first so-called stack formation group or the first line one into the Capitol. There will be two more sentenced tomorrow, Jessica Watkins in the morning and Ken Harrelson in the afternoon. And the fifth uh Tom Caldwell, his sentencing has been put off uh for a bit,
0: all right, so let's talk about uh Stuart Rhodes and kelly Meggs uh what was the maximum sentence available uh realistically for them there you can always you can always sum up a lot of a lot of uh sentence possibilities under the if you line up maximum sentences, but under the under the sentencing guidelines, what was the possible likely maximum they were to get, and what did they get?
1: Well, for Rhodes, actually for both of them, the guidelines, the sort of normal guidelines sentence would be eleven and a quarter years to fourteen years, um, but the government was seeking. A terrorism enhancements for both of them, which are new. They have sought terrorism enhancements in four previous January 6th cases, but no judge granted them. But the uh, today, both uh, – the, the uh, judge did grant terrorism enhancements. and With the terrorism enhancements, the government was seeking 25 years for roads. And it was seeking 21 for Megs. And in fact, of course, seditious conspiracy, the the max is 20 years. So you would need to have some sort of consecutive sentence arrangement. Each was convicted of more than one felony. Um, As it happens, Stuart Rhodes was sentenced to 18 years, which is now the longest sentence in a January 6th case. The previous uh, lengthiest sentence was – a hundred and seventy months, which is fourteen years two months, and then uh, Kelly Meggs was sentenced to twelve years, which would now be the third longest sentence after Rhodes and an individual who uh, assaulted police officers uh, named Peter Schwartz, who happened to have thirty-eight prior convictions. So he he had uh, he had gotten a hundred and seventy
0: months. He'd earned it, yes, yeah. one felony at a time. Yeah. All right. So I want to start with a really politically incorrect question, which is: Is this excessive, given that these uh, gentlemen, for all their uh, you know seditious blustering and uh, as as you uh, poetically put it once, seditious fetching, they didn't beat any cops, they didn't destroy any property. They kind of ran in, you know, in, you know, an impressive stack formation and did some, you know, chest thumping about weapons, but the weapons were all legal and they didn't bring them uh, across the river. And, you know, mostly what they did is after other people had, you know, beaten up some cops, uh, and broken through the lines, they marched up the steps and then stood around a lot. And so my question is, does it seem wrong?
1: You know, it it did not seem wrong. Um, the judge, he relied in part on uh, Supreme Court rulings about the seriousness of conspiracies and the nature of conspiracies that, you know, when you get a lot of people involved in pursuing a criminal purpose, you can achieve things that individuals cannot and you can— Also, there's a greater danger that unanticipated crimes are going to be committed in addition to the ones contemplated and and this was something that went on for, you know, at least two months of planning, considerable planning and he took very seriously the QRFs across the river, the quick reaction forces, the arsenals, large arsenals of AR-15s and thousands upon thousands of rounds of ammunition for them and uh you know no really convincing benign purpose for them there was the theory that well maybe these were for emergency uh if antifa attacked them but that would still sort of involve uh bringing those weapons into DC where everyone knew they were not permitted there was a theory that maybe uh Trump would invoke the insurrection act which was itself uh a really unsavory theory that to, uh, to uh, that he would invoke the insurrection act in a way it had never been invoked before and to to uh, d- defeat the constitutional processes that had elected Biden uh, and that um, furthermore he would call up these this ragtag group of oath keepers as a militia so that was a theory and then but the government's real theory was that none of that was the case the real theory was and the the one that the jury probably accepted was that um it this was in case Rhodes told them to you know gave them the order bring in the weapons uh we're we're going to do it which is something that he had threatened to do many 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 times over the past 2 months so he took all of this very seriously and decided that there were no January 6th cases remotely uh to be used as comparators you know there were no conspiracy cases of of moment and there were certainly no seditious conspiracy cases and given all of that he allowed the terror enhancement for both of them And then uh, actually once you do that, he went well under the guidelines for each of them and he went far under the guidelines for Kelly Meggs because uh, it was so clear that Rhodes was uh, an ongoing threat, um, that this was not somebody – this was somebody that's incorrigible. Um, He's uh, still doing his shtick from prison he uh, regards himself as a political prisoner he spoke at the sentencing uh, called himself the um american solzhenitsyn in his efforts to expose the criminality of this administration or or this regime i'm not sure the exact uh, words uh, so he did not you know uh, do himself any good in terms of uh trying to throw himself on the mercy of the court. With uh, Meggs, it was a little better on his behalf. His family spoke, so he was a more sympathetic figure. And nobody really thinks that Meggs presents the ongoing threat that Rhodes does. Meggs, on the other hand, did uh, also speak uh, in ways that I'm sure his attorney would have preferred he didn't. Uh, he he, you know, har- argued his innocence again, but yeah. Even so, uh, I think everyone regarded him as a significantly less less of a threat.
0: All right. So I want to go back to uh, Rhodes and Megs in a moment, but you said that the judge determined that there was no remotely comparable January sixth case to this to use as precedent here but this is a remotely comparable case for the Proud Boys uh, judge to use as precedent in sentencing the Proud Boys and it seems to me looking at this, this is really bad news for the Proud Boys. That is, you have a uh, the nonviolent seditious conspiracy that just talked about stuff gets 18 years leadership and – the uh more foot soldiery second in command gets uh fourteen years the uh, proud bo- uh, 12, t- uh, 12 years. years sorry, so the proud boys here you have the as you always call them the pointy end of the spear who are at every single except one maybe uh of the uh breach points in the in the actual mm-hmm. violence there. You know the first ones in; they lead the thing. They 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 are the ones who translate the uh, rally into a mob that invades the capital, and uh, people get hurt. And so it seems to me, if the nonviolent, you know, nice oathkeeper seditious conspiracy leadership is worth eighteen years and terrorism enhancement. The Proud Boys, if you take this as precedent, are going to – are looking at some real time.
1: Yeah, it's it's real bad news for the Proud Boys. I, I don't know how to spin it exactly otherwise because uh, their role in uh, really starting the whole thing was so much greater. Uh, I, I don't want to under – Sell the oath keepers that I mean, I
0: am joking yeah, when yeah, I call yeah, them non-violent, yeah. nice, seditious conspiracy there, theorists. There, there
1: was some violence inside the Capitol. You know, there were also overtones of uh, in the sentence of uh, that he brought thirty people at least to January sixth roads,
0: which is ten uh, percent of what the Proud Boys yeah, brought. By yeah, the way, yeah, yeah but there was all, there were
1: were overtones that his sedition which was uh out there you know uh, the the stop the steel stuff the but beyond that the the need to to rise up in violence against it the references to bloody revolution and uh, civil war were explicit the references the the comparisons to the founding fathers and the need to Follow what the founding fathers were doing, the need to follow the example of the Serbian revolution and their storming of the parliament. And these were posted in open letters on the Oathkeeper site that were seen by more than just Oathkeepers. So there was a, a flavor of maybe he play, they, they played a bigger role in uh, the whole thing. In, you know, bringing a lot of people, even beyond the 30 charged, 26 charged, uh, oath keepers. That was a flavor. But as you say, with the Proud Boys, they brought about 200 people and, uh, they were, uh, at th- these first four crucial breaches, maybe more than that. And, um, it's, it seems more culpable to me, uh, in, uh, you know, in terms of – if you're blaming them for January 6th, a stronger case can be made against the Proud Boys than than against the Oath Keepers.
0: So, let's go back to Stuart Rhodes and his uh, uh, speech before the court. You know, this is his uh, – his, among other things, his big moment to state his case. You briefly uh, gave us a – uh, an overview of what he had to say, but go into that a little more. What's what he thinks he's Solzhenitsyn, which I suppose means we can expect a very long book from him.
1: <laughs> you could see that uh, his own lawyer was really not thrilled that uh, that uh, Rhodes was going to speak, and he had an inkling about what was going to be said and and Rhodes, uh, just four days before the sentencing, had also spoken to. You know, had made a recorded statement to some group. I think it's called uh, something like Freedom Corner outside the jail, and there's a way to pass phones to the yeah, to get the statements recorded. Uh, and uh, had done a, a version of this as well, just four days before sentencing. So clearly, you know, it's not somebody uh, that's uh, currying favor and. Um, He started by saying something along the lines of – I start by saying I'm a political prisoner like President Trump. My only crime is opposing those who are destroying our country Um, using protected speech uh, because of the – to denounce the systematic violence of the left uh, and their attempts to shut down the speech of Trump supporters and uh, it started at the trump inauguration and then he begins talking about uh, uh the alleged attacks upon trump supporters by antifa as they would be uh trying to get to their vehicles afterwards especially the vulnerable and elderly and unarmed and transgender trump supporters who were uh, evidently uh, bullied and and how they came to their defense and um and then it went on to sort of a little bit about uh january sixth himself uh, itself and and how really you know he had appointed these uh an operations leader and he wasn't really a very hands on guy after all, so it was a little bit of everything and uh and then it began it, and 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 actually to some extent at one point um, judge made a Had to tell him that in effect the meter was running. uh, You know, can you wrap it up? Because they had to break for lunch and then do another sentencing. And so he he then wrapped it up with his uh, obviously a line he had honed for some time about this uh, American Solzhenitsyn. And so
0: that was it basically. And what about Megs? Did Megs have anything interesting to say for himself? Well. I would say his family
1: did you know you can just see the 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 pain uh, i guess his uh, uh his sister spoke um his son spoke and he spoke and uh, uh and uh, there was a letter uh from his wife who of course has been convicted herself of of a lesser conspiracy the uh, of corrupt obstruction conspiracy and some of their crimes. But, you know, he was best when he was just uh, talking about how much he regretted hurting her and and destroying their family. And, uh, uh, you know, he's a first offender like most January 6th offenders. So uh, he did, uh, you know, uh, uh, quarrel with that he he wasn't a member of the conspiracy. He never lied to the FBI. But uh, there was a lot of evidence that the judge wasn't going to let that dissuade him and uh, I thought, and he told him that he thought, you know, he was being unrealistic and accepting what, uh, what had happened.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices So between the two Oath Keepers trials and the Proud Boys trials, we now have kind of the major big ticket on the ground to January 6th cases have, unless there's, you know, more seditious conspiracy cases to come, I think largely been wrapped up. There's, there's, uh, you know, several hundred other cases that are unresolved and allegedly more to come. But are you expecting any other big-ticket cases rather than individuals who, you know, haven't yet been charged but who will still be?
1: No. I don't really see a big-ticket, what I would call a blue-collar January 6th case on the horizon. I think there is a a three percenter case, but I I don't really think that's in the same ballpark. There may be some very serious one off crimes I, I I don't know about yet, but um, I think this is the big one. Before you know, if you know, unless uh, there is uh, there are Trump related what I would call white collar crimes, the people that were not literally there inside the Capitol or or fighting in the uh, at, on the Lower West Terrace and so on. The, in fact, uh, what Catherine Mercosy, the USA, uh, she made a point in her what they call allocution uh, after he's determined the guidelines. The prosecution gets a statement and then the defense defense family and the defendant get statements and the defense lawyers. But her point was that Judge Maida, like many of the – DC judges handling these cases has commented on uh, how frustrating it is to see these pawns being prosecuted. All of them are, in a, some sense, uh, you know, victims. They, it doesn't mean they didn't have free will; they aren't responsible. But all of them are, to some extent, victims of the bigger people that caused January sixth, that 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 uh, you know spread the big lie and. Uh, that really led to January 6th. And this this was the first chance, this was the first different case of somebody that really did, and she was talking about Rhodes, really did play a role in bringing people there. He, he was, a, you know, everyone else he brought was really there because of Rhodes and it's very clear they would not be there. You know, none of them have any sort of history that would, and how he was exploitative and how he would... Uh, we heard and we did hear over and over from the cooperators and also from the defendants who did testify you know their lives were being wrecked by other sort other problems covid unemployment uh, 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 re-entry problems after serving in the military and they were drinking and they were at their lowest and and, and roads would take these people and radicalize them and and amplify their anger and and direct it In this direction, and he was very effective at it. So, uh, this was the first chance to get somebody who wasn't a mere blue collar January 6th person. And in fact, Rhodes didn't go into the Capitol himself. He has that sort of in common with the other players like, you know, Trump and uh, Tario. And Tario, yeah, that's true. And the judge didn't specifically. Reference that argument, but you could see that, yeah, this is that was a huge part of his thinking, and and part of why Rhodes got even such a much longer sentence than Meggs. Even I mean, Meggs is number two in this in this case, and we're talking about nine people. It's not even nine; it's more like twenty six, like I said, and yet he saw a big gap there, eighteen and twelve, and I think with as we go down, we're Th- those numbers will drop pretty small. And
0: do you think that's right? I mean, do you think that Rhodes is meaningfully in a different category than Megs, and that other Oath Keepers convicted of seditious conspiracy are meaningfully in a lesser category than than even Megs? I think it's
1: clearly true, <laughs> and I think these sentences are going to drop off. We we have an interesting one tomorrow, uh, Jessica Watkins. She was actually one of the more violent of this group. She led a surge down the uh, Senate corridor uh, and she can be heard saying on, on multiple devices, push, push, push. They can't stop us and we we heard from the police that were on the other end of this and how battered they were and and her, her rhetoric was very bad. But uh, – so she's a pretty – Culpable player, and she brought other people from Ohio, but still, there is a sense that she's sort of a nutty lone wolf. Even even though she did have uh, some recruits, you know, allegedly uh, at some points the oath keepers had thousands of of uh, members. I don't know if that's you know literally true. Over over the years, they had thousands, but she she had four. You know, she had a, a, a militia uh, that consisted of four, two of whom were about 70 years old. So it's not really the same uh, mobilizing force. And then uh, there's a guy named Ken Harrelson. I'm quite interested to see how, what uh, Judge Maida does with him, he's he's a minor. He, 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 we really didn't learn a whole lot about him during the case, uh, certainly a lesser figure. And then of course a, a fifth, the one whose sentence has been put off, uh, Tom Caldwell is the most uh, – is the weirdest one and uh, really it's been put off because the judge is, is still entertaining some issues about a Rule 29 motion to dismiss the two charges he was convicted of. He was acquitted on seditious conspir- – he was uh, acquitted on all conspiracies and so just convicted of – Destroying documents and and corrupt obstruction as a as a substantive offense and uh, but the the interesting facts there is that most of what he did involved those helping set up and overseeing those QRFs uh, across the river the quick reaction forces yes um, those arsenals but being acquitted of conspiracy. And since nobody brought those weapons in,
0: and since they were legal where they were,
1: and they were legal, yeah, you know, it's it's, hard to
0: see where the criminality uh, is once you acquit of the conspiracy on that.
1: Yeah, uh, what's left is he came. You know, he's about sixty. He was at the time about sixty-five, full disability. He usually walks with a cane. Uh, He and his wife came to. They they got up to the inaugural stage. But they didn't go beyond that. They weren't in the militia uniforms. They were on the opposite side of the Capitol from all the others. They didn't touch anybody. They didn't break anything. So ordinarily, you know, if you look at that, most of those people on the on the stage who didn't hurt anybody, they weren't charged. They weren't charged with any anything. And th- those who were, and I can name, you know, like maybe two – Coy Griffin, um, Owen Schroyer, they were charged with a class A misdemeanor. So and – the, and the government was seeking 14 years for Caldwell. Uh, you know, that is uh, uh, over the top and um, ob- obviously we now know, uh, you know, if, if Meg's got 12 years, we don't have to worry about that. But I, I think that's maybe one of the reasons that uh, – the judge made is taking a close look at whether those charges
0: even survive so i want to go back to the white collar question we've seen i don't i haven't looked at the numbers recently but a lot of these blue collar cases we've now ascended to the ladder of the top of the blue collar cases we don't expect more cases at the top rung And yet we've seen very little that connects the blue-collar cases with the white-collar cases which are being handled by a different office, not by the U.S. attorney's office but the special counsel's office. So they're kind of administratively separate from a prosecutorial point of view and there have been none indicted and there have been – there is all kinds of ongoing investigative activity, but no signs of when it's whatever it turns out to be is happening. And so I'm curious whether, whether you think we should see this as strategic, as in they, they did the blue collar stuff. They've flipped who they're going to flip, you know, and now it's time to do the, the, really hard cases which is the people who didn't get their hands dirty in a physical sense or whether we should just think these were on parallel tracks from from the beginning and they're basically unrelated and Jack Smith is going to do what Jack Smith is going to do in the January 6th investigation but it basically has nothing to do with these 1,200 or so cases the top echelon of which is the Stuart Rhodes and Enrique Tario cases.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I guess at some earlier stage, there was some thought that maybe these blue-collar cases would lead to flipping and, you know, maybe Rhodes would say, oh, yeah, I got a call from – or Tario, you know, I got a call from inside the White House to do this or that. Um, that – has not materialized so far as, you know, any of us know. Also, the crossover people might have been Ali Alexander or Alex Jones or Roger Stone. But, you know, uh, we just haven't heard really anything along those lines. Just sometimes they make little cameos, but uh, just because somebody is hoping to – meet up with them or they meet up with them in a hotel someplace, but it, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything that, that, that we can tell. So they do seem on parallel tracks and I, I don't have any insights or visibility into Jack Smith's uh, office. So uh, I just uh, – it sounds like whatever they're doing, it must be very mature at this stage. And uh, uh, it can't be much longer if it's going to happen. But we do – it does seem like we're hearing more and more about Mar-a-Lago on the cusp than we are about any of these federal uh, Trump investigations.
0: Yeah, I mean we get a whole bunch of different signals. On the one hand, Mike Pence testified, which is not something you're going to do at the beginning of an investigation. That's – That's suggestive of a quite mature wrapping up kind of thing. On the other hand, I would not expect that the first indictments would be the top of the pyramid. You Mm want to indict some people a little bit lower down to maybe get some of them to flip. And so we haven't seen anything like what I would think are the preliminary – uh, steps, which are, which strikes me as inconsistent with the idea that we're at the mature phase of the investigation, unless they've been consciously storing it up on the theory that you kind of want a shock and awe approach to the white collar side. So I think it's very mysterious, honestly. And, and I, I haven't. I've seen. You know, the speculation that I've seen has not been especially convincing about where the thing is. So, mm. uh, in, in contrast to the Mar-a-Lago investigation, where you know you have some very concrete pieces of evidence that the investigation is essentially done, including that the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have both reported that.
1: Yeah, I've I've always been puzzled. Uh, I I think there was. That Merrick Garland was slow off the starting mark uh, in terms of pursuing the white-collar cases. And I don't... If, if the theory was, you know, let's start from the bottom and work our way up, I think that would be silly. Because when he took office, we already had Trump's phone call to um, Raffensberger. And, um, you know, he knew about that the day he got to the office, you know you don't need oath keepers or proud boys to turn in order to tell you something's going on there. And um, so I've I've never I I think he was a little late to the to the game, but and then and then he has tried to play catch up, but and he has, but uh, I I I don't know if maybe the reason he was slow to begin with is that he just didn't see. An easy federal crime there. I, I, I hope that's not the answer. I
0: mean I still think there's a problem with Trump about what the federal crime is just because of defenses that are available to presidents that aren't available, say, to chief of staffs of presidents. I don't think that would inhibit an indictment, a white-collar indictment, but I do think it creates a real Trump puzzle that you have to think about if you're a federal prosecutor that maybe you don't have to think about if you're Liz Cheney or uh, Benny Thompson.
1: And, and And one other thing I just have to say and maybe it's because I'm not a First Amendment scholar but I just don't see why inciting an insurrection or just inciting a riot are not prosecutable uh, crimes in this context and – We have just – you know, there's a thousand people uh, that have been charged with federal crimes for January 6th and we all know why they were there. You know, all the judges know why they were there and it's one guy. And uh, and of course, you know, there were other collaborators, uh, you know, but but it's really one guy and I I just don't – See
0: why that's such a hard case. So I actually disagree with you <laughs> about that. I think it's, uh, the incitement side is very hard, but I do think if you're the Justice Department thinking about the incitement side, you're watching the civil case really carefully because, you know, the DC Circuit's just the same fact pattern and the DC Circuit and then the Supreme Court is either going to say that's First Amendment protected and therefore There's no civil liability possible in which case don't even think about the criminal side or they're going to say civil case can proceed and, hey, if it's not First Amendment protected for civil purposes, then uh, you have a much clearer path on the criminal side. So I think there's a really good argument if you're the Justice Department to actually let the the civil side blazed that particular trail no.
1: men of course many of the seditious conspiracy defendants have raised the defense uh, such as it is that um you know their guys are basically scapegoats obviously it was it was trump that caused this thing and and uh they 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 did what what a thousand other people did as a result and you do have this you know Uh, fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore and it's about 36 minutes later that the first barricade falls.
0: Yeah. So I – look, that seems to me to be a terrible defense for Stuart Rhodes and his friends that, you know, if, if you say fight like hell and, or you won't have a country anymore and I go beat somebody up in response, the fact that you said do it is like, that's like kindergarten stuff, right? When, you know, oh, I did it because Roger told me. Well, it's a um, bad defense, it, but it, it it's it, a bad defense, but it's a, it's an incredibly powerful. If I were Jack Smith and I heard one after another people say that, I don't think it, it ans- I don't think it answers the, the incitement question but it creates a huge pressure to say it can't be that the only person who is not criminally responsible for what happened is the guy that everybody says they were answering his call. And I do think it creates a real moral problem for the special counsel's office, not for the Justice Department more broadly but for the special counsel's office in thinking about the accountability mechanism for Trump and for the white-collar people more generally. What happens next? We have more, more Oath Keepers to sentence and a bunch of Proud Boys to sentence, right? Yeah. The, these are actually
1: from the first trial which ended in November, the first Oath Keeper trial. We had five defendants but these were the only two that were convicted of seditious conspiracy. So, it may be that he won't even want the terrorism enhancement. For the other uh, three, assuming there is a third, and because uh, Caldwell might be dismissed altogether, and then the next uh, there there are four more seditious conspiracy uh, oath keepers, um, and they will be sentenced next week. And I did not watch their trial, so I'm less confident about you know who is the most culpable and or not. But obviously, I think the parameters have sort of been set today. And then um, there are more Oath Keepers with lesser crimes. And and then, of course, uh, in late August, we get the uh, five, uh, five Proud Boys, four of whom were convicted of seditious conspiracy. And there, you know, I don't even know who the top defendant uh, w- will be in terms of you know sentencing um you know obviously Enrique Tarrio was the chairman of the Proud Boys but and he was in Baltimore but Nordine was the guy on the ground and uh there was a lot more evidence against Nordine. so i'm not sure exactly how how they're going to parse that but uh, in light of what happened today yeah uh those two guys in particular uh it's really looking bleak for them
0: On that bleak looking for them note, we're going to leave it there. Roger Parloff, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. The Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution, where we are now physically able once again to sit in the Jungle Studio. You need to do your part to support the Lawfare Podcast. So become a material supporter. Go to patreon.com slash lawfare and join the ranks of the material supporters. Remember, it is a felony to commit material support for terrorism, but it is a virtue to commit material support for the Lawfare Podcast. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell, Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.